Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 172. This interview is with Heidi Spierdegi, Senior Vice President, Head of Product and Services at the Marcus Buckingham Company, providing research, tools, and coaching for high-performance leadership. In this discussion, we look at the role of leadership in driving change, the new role for human resources, establishing accountability, measuring performance, the idiosyncratic radar effect, women in tech, and how to make online learning effective, and much more. A super stimulating conversation. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today I had a great fortune to bump into somebody looking for the right place at HR Tech World. And so Heidi, tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your mindset? First of all, fantastic. Thank you for asking me to be part of this. Um, so my background, so I've actually been in the HR technology space for over 20 years. And gosh, a year ago this time, I was actually a keynote speaker at this conference. And I was very, very close to leaving the industry. In fact, I had made up my mind that that was going to be my last HR tech conference after I think it was the 17th conference. And I had just become disillusioned after trying to create change in the world and make uh, the workplace a better place and a more human place. Um, for a long time, I believed technology could play a massive role in that. And, uh, you know, I had become jaded. So, um, at, but something, something changed. Um, I actually became, I got to know a, a gentleman by the name of Marcus Buckingham and took the role of leading product to develop a completely new and different type of HR technology that I think actually can make a huge impact in the world. So really excited and re-energized. That would, that would be your mindset. That would be my mindset, re-energized. Oh, right. So good. So um, tell us, uh, what is what does Marcus do? Because, I mean, obviously he's a well-known figure. Tell us a little bit more about him for those who don't know. Yeah, so Marcus Buckingham, he's made his life study studying what drives great teams, what it, what dis, what distinguishes one great team from a, an average and low-performing team. Um, and he's really landed on the team leader and the impact that great leadership can make um, to an organization and, most importantly, to the team. And team is um, something that's very different than the way that most businesses are built today. We've built these businesses based on businesses based on this sort of top-down hierarchy approach to management, and yet that's not the way performance really happens. That's not where engagement. 
engagement occurs. So he's written um, eight books on the topic and spent 17 years at Gallup and was one of the co-authors of the of Strengths, the Strengths Finder and early on in the Strengths Revolution, as well as a co-author of the Q12. So a lot of people know him for that work, and then he left Gallup to start his own company to really try to drive the similar change, but at much scale, a much greater scale, and bring um, his leadership principles to the masses through technology. So it's really that intersection mm-hmm. between leadership and performance, and um, what what can technology look like. Mm-hmm. When we look at a uh, so a team and how we're driving it, what are some of those principles? So give us the top line of understand the philosophy that goes behind what he does. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. So first of all, um, a team has, has to be something that's self-forming. Um, it's organizations who try to force teams and try to pretend that team equals department or team equals business unit or team equals region um, quickly learn that in the world today that that's not the way that's not the way that uh, performance occurs. That's not the way engagement occurs. And so from a team perspective, we are very much a believer that every every team member, every employee has the potential to be a team, team leader and lead a team. So um, whether they be cross-functional, virtual, um, also comprised of independent contractors, freelancers, it's really how work gets done and how people organize work around, um, organize themselves around work and organize themselves around a common mission and goal. So if, if I listen to you, then I, the idea might be that everybody's a leader. That means that leadership isn't uh, innate. It's not a natural skill. Talk us through the, the notion that anybody can be a leader. I mean, let's say there's some people that just don't look like leaders, but how can they become a leader? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. So leadership definitely is not a role. Leadership is definitely not something that you're either born with or you're not born with. It can be cultivated, um, but it is a position. It's a position not in the HR hierarchy position, but it's a role that one plays with on a team. Um, and everyone, once they understand what their innate strengths are and what they can bring to the table and really start to operate from within that position of strength and better understand what they can bring to a team or to their organization has the potential to grow as a leader. So go ahead. All right. So today, let's say that the, the, the nature of leadership is in some kind of, I want to say, disruption. How would you qualify the type of changes that have happened in the 20 years you've been working in the area such that today uh, there's a new style, a new way to bring about that change? Um, so first of all, I think that organizations have historically felt that to grow leadership, they need to invest in extremely expensive, um, ha- you know, hands-on classroom-based leadership experiences, which are typically reserved for the top of the house. And that's where we think that um, there's technology plays a very interesting role in cultivating leadership in a much more scalable fashion. So uh, yes, there's still a time and a place for leadership retreats and um, you know very intensive leadership development courses. But what we've what we've done with at the Marcus Buckingham Company is we've really taken core tenets of leadership and said, what would that look like at scale? How do you do? How do you deliver leadership development that's personalized based on who the individual who the individual is who's consuming it? How do you help leaders understand their team members better, as well as how do you develop them in the context of the work they're doing so that they're actually while working getting you know coaching online and, and so that they can access a coach on demand. To, to address a very specific business problem, or how can they get personalized tips and coaching advice based on the work, based on who they are as a human being, and in the moment, as opposed to just some expensive, uh, some expensive classroom-based experience. When you're doing these type of processes and you want to democratize and bring leadership down through the ranks, 
At the same time, if the top personnel are not modeling the behavior you're trying to see throughout the ranks, it does become top-down all the same. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's that's actually a huge, huge challenge for organizations, which is why one of the one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is helping to drive the organizational transformation from the top down. Because it's very easy to go in and say, here's a technology that's going to help you drive higher levels of performance at the team level and Press make your team leaders more effective in managing their teams and driving engagement. But if it's not modeled at that, that top level, so in fact, most of our most of our most successful customers actually have very high level of sponsorship. In fact, leadership around the adoption and deployment of the solution and this new approach to leadership at the CEO level. Because if you don't have that particularly sponsor, particular sponsorship outside of HR, it will certainly fail. Um, it's, it's a radically different approach for HR. I mean, it's a different mission. And we heard this morning from the keynote speaker, Eve Moreau, about uh, a new call to, I think, a call to action or a new mission for, for um, human resources. And, and I, I think this is an interesting time to be in this space mm-hmm. because it's, we, we really need to transition from the days of focusing on how do we automate and optimize these sort of HR functions and processes to really looking at things like connectedness, cooperation, mm-hmm. leadership, true pr- productivity and how work actually gets done, but at very much in a, at a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in we have to blow up these sort of traditional overly structured models of skills and competencies, even leadership models, I think, mm-hmm. for the most part, um, leave a lot of um, uh, nuance to be desired. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you're putting these things into place, two things come to mind. One is calling to, to task a senior leader who's not behaving or operating in the way that you're hoping to see happen. So it's always kind of complicated for a junior to say, hey, hey, mister, Mr. CEO, Mrs. CEO, you're not doing what you are saying. And so the, there's a notion of accountability, responsabilization. That is. And the second one, of course, is going to be about how do you measure improvement or measure performance that's related to this type of new attitude. Yeah. So first, in terms of the of accountability of senior leadership, so one of the things that I'm a strong believer in is that the the in order to drive true impact in organizations, you can't just we here in the HR technology community can't just go in and sell a product, nor can we go in and simply deliver services. So we're trying to, and I've been I've spent ten years on the vendor side, the building building products, and ten years on the services side, trying to help drive change at the, through the through the people part of the mm-hmm. equation, and I. I really believe the next 10 years needs to be about the fusion of the two because to your point if you go in and you try to transform an organization through a lot of the new and very exciting and disruptive technologies that we see walking around the show floor here today without addressing that human level and really driving change whether it be at the leadership level or even at the line manager level without driving that change and getting and creating the mind shifts you're, you're, the technology is actually going to deliver zero value and it will be a, a waste of time so things like whether it be you know business consulting services or change management or leadership development and really rethinking how we do those and doing it in a way that you can't separate it from the technology mm-hmm. because it's really just like anything else in the culture and the world around us technology is just purely an enabler of some type of a change of some type of an outcome and trying to help businesses understand that and really think about how do we manage people differently how do we lead people differently how do we develop people differently but leveraging technology to do that and so it's become a business conversation and a change conversation and not just a technology or mm-hmm. just a consulting conversation, which I think is the, the mistake that, that we've made. Mm-hmm. 
Um, to your second question on measurement, huge, huge, um, uh, great, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. So um, there's been a lot of just a, o- over, amount, uh, over uh, amount of focus on the question of how do we measure performance management? And we've all seen R- in the, the ROI oh of my, my system. Gosh. And we all see seen in the press, you know, kill performance reviews, kill performance ratings, you know, death of performance management. Um, uh, you know, Accenture's come out and announced that they're blowing it up. Deloitte's come out and announced that they're blowing it up. We see Coca-Cola. We see Microsoft. We see Motorola all really trying to transform performance management. And so this, this interesting question. Okay, so how do you actually measure it and do you need to measure it? So I'm a firm believer. We'll always need to be able to differentiate performance at some level. There's a lot of reasons we need to do that. I mean, as human beings, we need to do that as we look at ourselves. I mean, how do you, you know, I don't know whether you're a runner or, you know, sure. participate in any type of, but that whole personal best. I mean, we're always measuring ourselves. I mean, we're actually, I think, becoming more and more of measurement culture rather than less. Mm-hmm. So this notion of getting rid of measurement around per- performance in the workplace, I think, is, 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 is a bit bogus. Um, I think the real question becomes, how do you measure it? What's the, what is a smart and good way to actually get real data and good data? And all, there's been all this buzz around big data, and, and I think the interesting problem is it's not, that, it's not a big data problem. We have no, we have no lack of data in the, in the, in the workplace and in HR. What we have a lack of is good data. And so rather than looking at getting rid of measurement altogether, the real question is how does one measure performance in a way that actually yields results? So there's this interesting thing. It's very esoteric called the idiosyncratic rater effect. And it basically, and there's been tons of research on this topic, and, but mostly in, in sort of academic circles, and it hasn't yet hit the business world that much. And it's a really simple principle. It basically says when I rate you on something, maybe it might be, your strategic thinking abilities, my ability to rate you is actually more, my rating of you is more a reflection of me than it is of you. Mm -hmm. Because it's a reflection of, number one, how important do I think strategic thinking is. Mm-hmm. Number two, how often do I practice and exhibit strategic right. thinking myself? Mm-hmm. Number three, how good am I at that? Mm-hmm. If I'm not very good at it, I'm certainly not a good judge of how good you are right. at it. Sure. So it's this inability to see beyond yourself, mm-hmm. which really, really um, taints our ability mm-hmm. to assess the performance of others, which you know, m- many of the HR systems we've seen um, over the last 20 to 30 years have been based on that fundamental principle of let's codify you know, the, the human being and let's try to structure mm-hmm. jobs and roles and define what competencies and skills we need in them and then rate people against it. And that's just flawed. We mm-hmm. can't do that. Right. So, Heidi, you're going to be speaking today on, uh, on a women in tech um, type of topic. So it's a topic that you and I found out, discovered that we have in common, both minor to women's studies. When we're talking about these performances and bringing change in, how important is diversity uh, as part of this? Because I can't help but think that it's, it's a part of the new generation's mindset, and yet it's not part of the older mentality that you so see. Yeah, it's extremely important. There's been so much research that's been done that shows that when you have a more diverse set of human beings coming to the table on any problem, the results are better. And typically those results tend to be um, a more innovative and more creative end solution than you would have when you have people who are more similar, um, bringing outside perspectives in. I mean, it's like anything. If you if you've, if you studied the Renaissance at all and you look at the explosion of innovation and creativity in the Renaissance mm-hmm. and... Um, 
historians attribute that largely to the fact that they that the Medici's one family brought together a diversity of mindsets, a diversity of experience where you were bringing together. They brought together politicians and um, scientists and uh, you know painters and poets and you know to that they discussed ideas together. So diversity yields innovation and an explosion of creativity. So to think that somehow we're any different than those people, those those geniuses were in the Renaissance, I think mm-hmm. is, is is a farce. So and if you if you look at businesses that become static and stop growing and stop stop evolving, and you look at their demographics, typically they're led by a by an, by um, a set of people who who lack diversity. So a um, lot of interesting research there, and and you're absolutely right from a generational perspective. Um, I'm I'm excited about what this next generation is mm-hmm. going to bring to the to the workplace. I think they have a very very different sense of um, what um, healthy and good looks like yeah. in terms of the mix of human beings that they want to be around. Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you take a step back and listen to what they say, you know, they ask you, why, Papa, why did you work for the same company for 30 years? Well, because that's the way it is. But, but why? <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> yes. All right, so um, this is a little bit provocative, Heidi, but I have a, a certain thought behind it. If, you're, if, you're, if you are promoting women in tech or women in general in diversity in management, and in front of you, you have 12 men that would be of the classic variety. What argument would you think works to, you know, to encourage them to say, hey, guys, open up? That's a fantastic question and a tough one, um, <laughs> but, but, a, but a beautiful one. So I think certainly, number one, you know, really trying to draw upon their own experiences when they've seen, when they've experienced the highest levels of innovation and creativity, because in tech, that's everything, is trying to create, create innovation and come up with that next, next big idea. So one of the things that I do when I talk to men is I actually draw upon their past experiences, mm-hmm. particularly those in technology, and I, and, I, and I draw out what made that good what made that special and typically you will see you will you will find that it wasn't a bunch of you know white 32 year old men sitting in a round room together all of whom had stanford engineering degrees and they you typically will see in the and then some light bulbs do start to to, mm-hmm. to pop there um and then obviously there's also just the um helping them understand that what got us here won't get us there mm-hmm. so if you if you can't get them at that you know experiential level you know hit them in the business gut and say mm-hmm. you know just because this is the way the world has worked up until now, if you don't change, um, you're probably going to be left behind for the reasons we just discussed. This next generation is not, isn't going to tolerate it. It's not how they operate. Right, so we, when we listened to Jonathan uh, speak at the beginning, we, he, he made us, he encouraged us to introduce one another and speak about personal, uh, something personal, which in certain countries, in France in particular, it's sort of verboten to, to mix professional and personal. And, and from my observations, talking about personal in a business setting in a male-dominated environment is often sort of also anathema. And so my viewpoint is that I think women can bring uh, a greater ease uh, at bringing in personal and personality into the boardroom. You know, this is vast generalizations being what they are. But um, when we're talking about uh, brands today, how, how important for you are brands uh, and the strength of the brand in driving engagement inside the company. Yeah. Well, first, I'm going to actually answer that in the context of the brand of women leaders, because um, I do think that part of the problem and part of the challenge that for women in leadership is the question of brand, because the brand of a um, 
of a of a of a business executive of a professional is does not historically has not necessarily been a very feminine brand. It's mm-hmm. been an extraordinarily masculine brand where you do have a very strong division between the personal and the professional, mm-hmm. um, the communication style, the the, the physical uh, both physical and verbal communication style um, is something which is very foreign to many women, to many young women, um, and in fact a personal story. I remember uh, my dad was a VP of sales and I. I swore my entire childhood I would never, ever, ever go into business because nothing could be drier. Nothing could be more boring. Um, and then or I, be a VP of sales. Or be, oh my God forbid. <laughs> you know, and it's a bunch of stiff, boring white men who all look alike and all act alike and they're all as dry as can be dry just lacking of lacking of the human lacking in spirit lacking in personality um, lacking in uniqueness of course they may be intense and maybe have good intentions but it's just missing that sort yeah. of fun yeah and I'm speaking now not of my current view but my view of you know the eight-year-old girl looking at the world of business and you know tying it back to women in technology right. I think that we have a, a, a similar problem with the brand of technology and the brand of engineering mm. in the world today and that um, it's not necessarily a very attractive profession to many girls as they start to look at you know, what do I, who, do, who am I as a human being, and how am I going to be most fulfilled? And the brand of engineering, the brand of technology, doesn't necessarily fit with that. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, I'm a I'm a woman who actually started down my path. My degree, my ma- I have a master's in art history, undergraduate degree in political science and women's studies, and wound up in technology. I actually think it's an incredibly um, an incredibly creative, incredibly interesting and dynamic space to be in, and yet the brand isn't so. So I think we've got a little bit of, a, of some brand building to do around engineering and around technology for young women today to be more attracted to it, because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't, I think that's um, the kind of um, geeky engineers who, you know, the brand of the geeky engineer who doesn't really value social interaction, mm-hmm. doesn't, it, it's, that's not a brand that, that many girls are, are drawn to. I want to go back to Marcus Buckingham uh, because you guys are, are creating more and more online content and you're head of product at Marcus Buckingham. When you're creating your online material, your online courses, uh, I'm curious to, to think about what, are, what is making it effective. I mean, I think we're still somewhat at the forefront of making good online learning. And maybe you can share with us what are some of the lessons learned, i.e. screw-ups that have happened, mm-hmm. where you feel like you're, you can improve on what you're doing. Yeah, well, a, a couple of things. I mean, um, first, certainly um, in the context of work, I think is so important. Um, fortunately, with technology, we have the ability to make things much more contextual and much more personalized, mm-hmm. as opposed to the what I call peanut butter approach to leadership development or development of any kind, which is that one-size-fits-all approach, and somehow to think that content can be meaningful and relevant to all people, even though knowing how unique the, the human being is how unique the situation is, I think that's a, um, a flaw in a lot of the content that's mm-hmm. come before us. So with technology, and we actually have a, a personalization engine that calibrates the content to you based on who you are, your interests, your in- innate strengths, as well as the things that you're working on. So I think breaking that you know, one-size-fits-all approach is really, really important. And part of that also is when I say contextual, it needs to be in the moment and in bite-sized chunks. So, um, and we see this, you know, exploding in the world around us. Nobody, I mean, 
Twitter. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful example of in the moment, bite-sized chunks, relevance, what I want to what I want to hear now, um, as opposed to some sort of you know, top-heavy, top-down approach to here's everything you ever needed to know. All right, so I get that. So the flexibility of the content, you've got great content, but you make it personalized. So first question is, how does one personalize the content? Because at the end of the day, if you're going to tell me I'm going to have it in a video, audio, uh, image base, I mean, there are different ways that one appreciates. People are more visual, some people are more auditive, mm-hmm. and so on. So that, that level, or how, how do you manage to personalize the content, therefore, for Minter versus Heidi to appreciate? Right, yeah, and we're, we're still learning about this. I think we have a long, a long way to go. Um, right now, where we are is really, first of all, understanding Minter and understanding Heidi. We're very, very different. Our drivers are different. And then service, serving up different content based on who we are and what our natural strengths are. So how you learn and how you're going to become stronger and be a better leader of your team, it's going to be very different and how I'm going to become a better leader of my team. So it starts with really understanding who we are in our unique strengths and differences. Um, secondly, we really, um, from a, in terms of a context, from a context perspective, we also personalize that content based on the results and what we know about you. So, for example, if you um, push out an engagement survey to your team and you're really strong in some areas and weaker in other areas, we personalize the content based on those analytics and metrics. So... Ba- on the results of your team. And so not only are we looking at the results and what the context of work is and the context of your team and how you're doing as a leader, but also and make recommended actions for you. Here's some things to try. But also, what it, even if we, you and I had the exact same engagement results, your advice and your content would be different than my content because our strengths are different. Sweet. All right, last question, Heidi. You have two boys. I have a girl, and a boy and a girl. And uh, so this isn't that thought, you know, bringing in the personal. Um, bite-size education. So my thought goes to, you know, I've only got two minutes for my homework or, or I have a 90-second attention span. Where do, you, where do you, how do you guys sit on that? Because making it contextual is great. Mm-hmm. Making it in the flow in my workspace, of course, perfect. It fits, it rolls on my iPad and like, quickly follows up on my mm-hmm. smartphone and the, that kind of technical aspect. Yet, making bite-size effective education, and I'm thinking of children behind this, but even for adults, how does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question, and it's I think I think we as a society are struggling with that. What is the what is the right amount? A, you know, a two hour lecture, a five minute video, a uh, you know a, a, a ten second you know bite sized piece of an, an yeah. idea, um, and it's something I actually also worry about with my with my children, and like sure. because things are becoming increasingly bite sized. I happen to be a much bigger fan of Medium versus mm-hmm. um, versus Twitter, as an example. The way that my brain works, I actually like to have a deeper um, and more deeper a, yeah, a deeper read and more more context and kind of go deeper into a subject. Um, we're certainly not moving in that direction as a society, um, so it'll be interesting to see where we land. I think it's probably a bit of a pendulum. Mm-hmm. There actually has been a little bit of a backlash. I don't know. I've been reading about it against Twitter uh-huh. that we're starting to see. Um, I, I believe their their um, their their following is starting to dip a bit. So I think we'll probably over time start to settle somewhere in the middle. That no longer do we need to take our employees out of the out of their jobs for a week long instructor led course. Mm-hmm. And you know, Twitter is not the end all be all bite sized chunks chunk learning. Um, I think we have to 
look at what is the right medium and the right length and the right context for what you're trying to accomplish. We certainly also still continue to offer um, classroom-based educational experiences. Mm-hmm. You do actually those you can create really profound experiences for human beings when you do take them away from their job and you do look eye to eye, human being to human being. Sure. It can be extraordinarily profound, and there's still a place for that. Mm-hmm. But there's also a place for you know you're switching gears, you're running between meetings, and you take in a new idea and the light bulb goes off and even if that new idea was delivered in 140 characters or less it can it can make some impact so i think it's it's i think we're going to evolve to a combination and get smarter over time around you know what medium what length how deep for whom and in what context right because at the end of the day we do all learn in different ways and who are we to say that it's wrong yeah. at, you know at some point and that, the other you know just leads me to thought where where you look at a, a medium or another uh, type of material that you're reading, the interactivity, and I was thinking, I mean, I have a, a quite a solid background in pedagogy, the notion of surprise and discovery in learning, which is so evidently necessary for children, and yet stripped out when we become adults. Why? That, that, that's fantastic. And I think it goes back to the way that the notion of how we've structured businesses and what the way that we think about an organization. It, the organizations are built, and we heard a great keynote on this that reflects this this morning, completely lacking of surprise. Mm-hmm. I think we've fooled ourselves in thinking that we should and can, both, which are two different concepts, that we should and can remove surprise, remove uncertainty, remove risk, remove the, um, the nuance of the human being and the the, and, and try to codify and structure everything. We're going to pr- build processes into everything we do. We're going to optimize those processes, squeeze all the waste out, and in the process, there's no, there's no room for surprise. So therefore, we end up building education and content as if, as if there is no surprise, and we just are going to deliver something, which is the, here's the top 10 things you need to know for your job. There's no surprise in that. It's like an SAT. Heidi, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to have you. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss your your intervention, but I'm looking forward to catching up and staying in touch with you. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's terrific. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
useless blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.